From the time that we were children, most of us have become acquainted with many stories from the Bible. We have heard the one about the man and the woman in the garden, along with the forbidden fruit and the snake, and how sin came into this world. We've heard about the shepherd boy who killed a giant with a single stone and grew up to be a beloved king. We've heard about a man who was cast into a den of lions and yet remained untouched. Our very faith is based on the story of the virgin birth of the Messiah King who lived a sinless life and died upon a cross for all of mankind. We're familiar with these stories, but what about the stories we haven't heard? Join us today as we hear the untold tales, the tale of two churches. So, so what I was saying is, if I, I love this because as we jump into this, I, I know that you've been a part probably of one of these churches we're going to talk about today, the tale of two churches. Hopefully, you're in the right tale of a great church today. All right, right here at Harvest Christian Fellowship. But, you know, basically, <clears throat> there are two different types of churches out there. And if I were to paint the picture of those two types of churches, I think I would do it through Scripture because Scripture really gives us a tale of two churches. So we're going to look into the, to the Word of God today. We're going to talk about two types of churches that are still alive today to some degree. But one of them is truly seeking God, His Word, hearing His Word from His messenger, and the other one is not. And that's just kind of the bottom line. So, so uh, Paul teaches this. Basically, there are four things that Paul teaches about as far as persons, types of people that we have among us today. The natural. The natural are the ones who have never surrendered to Christ. We need some naturals in here this morning. As a matter of fact, Jesus didn't just come for those who were well, but He came for who? The sick, meaning that Christ died for all of us. And there are some of you still in the natural who have not accepted that. Paul teaches about you throughout his writings. And then there are those babes in Christ, the babes in Christ, those who are just on milk, who maybe are 70 years old and been in church all of their lives. Or maybe they're simply three days old in their spiritual walk with Jesus. But nevertheless, there are babes that Paul speaks of. And then there are those who are fleshly, the unteachables. And, and what that means, those are the carnal Christians, if there's such a thing. All right, the carnal Christians who know everything, they know more than you, um, yet their lives don't imply that they know Jesus. They look just like the culture. And then there are those who Paul refers to as the mature those who can receive the Word of God, they have received His messengers, they continue to grow, they apply what they know, they are strong and courageous in the Lord, and watch this, they are not easily offended. They're good people. They're people who are making a difference. Look, do you understand something this morning that what comprises the church are people? And what we are supposed to do as the church is, is look at this natural, babe, fleshly, mature, and say, hey, what are we doing in church? What kind of church comprises us? What kind of people comprises us as the church? And it's going to have every one of these in it, but we want to be moving on towards that mature congregation. 
So today I'm going to paint a picture. The first one I'm going to tell you about is the city and the church of Corinth. Now most of us tend to look at this church as being extremely spiritual. They were. I mean, when you read the book of Corinthians or the two books of Corinthians, you're going, wow, man, these guys are amazing. They're speaking in tongues. They're casting out spirits. They're prophesying. They have all these gifts. And it's amazing to me that did you know that when Paul writes to them about all these things, he's reprimanding them? Hey, you're in a hyper-charismatic church and you just care about you. You're missing the whole point. Listen up. You may have all these spiritual gifts, but you don't have this one thing that identifies you as a church of the living God, and that is love. He throws that right into chapter 13, right in the middle. He's writing about all these gifts, chapter 12 and chapter 14 and 13. We use it in our weddings every day, right? Oh, it's the love. You got to have, I mean, we had Valentine's yesterday. You know, y'all know what love is, right? Some of y'all got a big old Valentine's, got some chocolate in it. And then the husbands came home and ate it all last night, right? It's kind of what happened in our household. And then I found my kids' chocolates, you know. I just went from my wife's to my kids. It doesn't matter. It all tastes the same. But here's the thing. Love. So, so Paul throws it out there at this church at, at Corinth and says, hey, guys, man, all this spiritual stuff, and I continue to have to write these letters and come by because you don't get it. You don't get it. Now, there's some good, great information. That's God's word, but it's, it's a word of repr reprimand. The city and the church of Corinth, let's just paint a picture for a minute. This church at Corinth was established on Paul's second missionary journey. Paul spent almost two years at Corinth preaching, teaching, and debating, helping develop people to carry the word of God on, right? Paul felt he must return to Corinth on his third mission trip and correct some things. It was here where Paul met Priscilla and Aquila, who were also tent makers, and they would help Paul plant this church and encourage these believers. The city of, of Corinth looked, looked much like this. It, it, just, it was so diverse. It was the gateway between northern and southern Greece, located on an isthmus. On an isthmus. Corinth was a large city with a population of a half million plus and was a Roman colony. It was a city of many gods and lords. It was a center of philosophy and destination for famed orators who charged fees for their advice to people on how to advance socially and culturally. Hey, come to this big city and, and learn what it means to be progressive in our society. See, it was a center for the arts and entertainment. It was sadly, though, a center for sexual immorality and sexual trade as well. That sounds familiar. That stuff's still going on today, right? It was, a, it, it was sadly those types of things. Interesting fact, people of other cultures called people from there sexual immoral Corinthians. So people from other cultures said, if you look into that city, that city is bad. Those people are Corinthians. They're nasty. They're evildoers. So guess what? It made a great place to plant a church. Some years ago, I was asked, hey, Let's go plant a Harvest Christian Fellowship in Amarillo. I said, yeah, man, that's just like Corinthia. Corinth. I'm just kidding. Guys, I'm just teasing. Just stay with me. I love every one of you. Prayed for you daily. All right? Don't make me write a letter. So, so what, what we're saying here, let me get us back on track. What we're saying is we, we really believe that God called us to this place, not because of all the... The, the nasty stuff going on. There's some wonderful churches here in Amarillo, Texas, and he called us to come 
and, and plant a life-giving, Christ-manifested, spirit-filled, Bible-teaching church. That people were ready to receive the message and receive the messenger, to receive the Word of God, to make a difference here. Well, it's the same at Corinth as far as planting a church. Hey, this place was a major place of influence. Amarillo, Texas is a major place of influence in the Texas panhandle and the world. Do you understand that? It's a great place. But we want to be more like the church at Thessalonica than we do the church at Corinth. Another great place to plant a church. Let's look at this place. The missionary team of Paul, Silas, Timothy, and Luke all collaborated here. They saw that, too, it was a great place. It was on Paul's second missionary journey. They actually desired to go elsewhere. Paul, as a matter of fact, wasn't planning on putting that on his stop list. But God spoke to him in a vision. And he was instructed to go to Macedonia. And a church was born there. When Paul made his, missionary, his journey to the city, it boasted a population of about 200,000, consisting mostly of Greeks, though there was a large number of Romans, and also some Jewish minority in that area. It was one of the few cities that still exist today, or it is one of the few cities that still exist today from the New Testament time, times. It has a booming population of about 300,000 today. It was the capital of the entire province, Macedonia. It was probably the most influential city on the Ignatian Road, a great military highway which connected Rome to the east. It also promoted what was known as the Pax Romana, if some of you ever have heard of that. It's the Peace of Rome. It's this highway where the military could go and they could, they could create order and disorder very quickly. Its midway position between the Adriatic and the Hellespont makes it a natural outlet for traffic from all points. So traffic would come in, and they could, they could literally influence the world, so to speak, because they had so many ports that came into that area, into that isthmus, very similar to Corinth. And, so, uh, and, and things would just go out from there. So it's a great place also to plant a church. Romans liked to retire there, and Jewish merchants enjoyed the trade opportunities they provided. Now watch this, women. Women in Macedonia had a higher social position and greater privileges than any other place in the civilized world. I was imagining this. I said just a while ago, imagine this with me. This is an incredible place. Women actually had a greater sense of worth in this place. They were on billboards along the Ignatian Road and often posed for Macedonia Illustrated, the summer edition. See, y'all trying to check out on me. I'm just testing you. Because it's historical, right? I, what I just said is not true. They didn't have billboards along the Ignatian Road, okay? But if they did, all right, women were seen as valuable to some degree. But it also brought Thessalonica a reputation for evil and licentiousness. Thessalonica was a free city and enjoyed self-government and guarded this freedom, freedom at any cost. And because of this, Paul's life was placed in jeopardy and he had to flee because he was calling them, hey, worship one Lord, one God. Right, there's just one faith. Now, an interesting fact about this, in other words, listen to me. It wasn't a real easy place, though it was a great place to plant a church. Neither Corinth nor Thessalonica, okay, or Thessalonica, neither one of those places, all right, were necessarily friendly about you planting a church in their city, within those walls, within those gates, so to speak. An interesting fact, fact about Thessalonica was this. In World War II, it was captured by the German army. And the Jewish population of about 60,000 persons, they were deported, deported and they were murdered. 
um, a lot of atrocities have happened throughout the centuries. But the church, the church still had a responsibility and still today has a responsibility to receive God's word and his messenger. That's the main thing. And that's what you're going to find out is the main difference between these two churches. Both of these cities were great prospects to plant a church because of the gateway to the populations, the trade route that influenced the entire area, the access to the main road, and the military availability to provide peace. Both of the churches should have been successful, but the untold tale is only one of them truly was and is successful. Paul and Timothy spoke to both of these churches and were instrumental voices to both. However, they would receive God's word and his messenger um, or how they received God's word and his messenger tells the tale, the rest of the story. So let's get into the rest of the story. Um, the church at Corinth, 1 Corinthians chapter 3, 1 through 5. Now watch how Paul speaks to this church. Watch this. But our brothers cannot address you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh, as infants in Christ. So it really covers two different people that we've already talked about. I fed you with milk, not solid food, for you were not ready for it, and even now you are not ready. For you are still of the flesh, for while there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not of the flesh and behaving only in a human way? For when one says, I follow Paul, and another, I follow Apollos, are you not being merely humans? What then is Apollos? What is Paul? Servants through whom you believed, as the Lord assigned to each one. Do you see that? The Lord assigned these messengers to bring the word of God, but he said, hey, you're not getting it. You got some problems. He could only give them milk of the word, not meat, is what he said. They were jealous of one another spiritually. They were experiencing strife among the clans. What clans? Well, clans are families. All right, there's the household of Chloe where they felt like, and you can go and read this, but they feel like that was one of those influential families. You know when you're a small church, sometimes you get influential families. Sometimes people go, there's a check. Now let's do this. And sometimes the pastor goes, put another zero on that. I'm just kidding, all right? Better not, okay? I'm just simply saying, there were some things here in that, and, and, and these families, the church was still relatively small, and it was these families, they were causing this strife, and nobody was holding them accountable. You see, there's a big problem when we're experiencing strife. Many of you have been in those churches in the past. Many of you understand what that means when there's so much calamity, so much strife. It's difficult for any of us to get along, much less set with one another on Sunday mornings. They were acting like mere men, meaning they were not acting with Christian charity. And so Paul has to throw a love chapter in there and say, hey, and check it out. If you miss this one, you missed everything because God is love. Anything less than that is not God. And so we've got a situation here. Paul goes on to address fornication, litigation, immorality, marriage, remarriage, liberties, Paul's apostleship, drunkenness, spiritual gifts, and the resurrection. It was a mess. Do you see? This church has major problems. Jesus said this. He said, a house divided cannot stand. And this church was faltering. Hebrews 4.2. I love this. For the good news, now, in Hebrews 4.2, this is speaking of the Jews, okay, um, Israel. 
For the good news came to us just as to them, but the message they heard did not benefit them because they were not united by faith with those who listened. In other words, they did not unite what they heard, what the messenger gave them, the word of God, to faith and have faith in what was taking place, that God was speaking to them. As a matter of fact, if you were to break that down, you could say it this way. Jesus said this, I came first to who? The Jews. The Jews. Remember that? But would they listen? No, the ones who should recognize the Son of God. He came. Jesus was a Jew. But they didn't recognize him. They didn't receive him. They didn't receive the messenger nor the message. You see, many American churches are faltering today. It could be due to their attempts to being more politically correct than biblically correct. And there's a danger in that. However, I would suggest in most cases it's probably because they no longer adhere to the message or the messengers. Think on this. I've heard this said many times. If Martin Luther were here today, he wouldn't be Lutheran. You ever heard that? Oh, here's one. If John Wesley were here today, he wouldn't be Methodist. They no longer accept the messenger or his word, the word of God. You ever heard um, if John Calvin were here today, he wouldn't be Baptist, maybe Presbyterian, probably not. I don't even know that he'd be a five-point tulip. (laughs) Never mind. I'm simply saying, and I'm not picking on any of those churches, by the way. I praise God for them. I praise God that the ones that hold on to the word and listen to the messengers who are bringing the word of Christ, they're making a difference and an impact, and they have a wide swath. And praise and bless God for them. Guys, we want here at Harvest to truly be a life-giving, Christ-manifested, Spirit-filled, Bible-teaching church. And in order to be that, the first thing we can do is be aware of some of the things that cause it not to be that. And so when you look at the tale of two churches, we're saying we love this church. This church had some problems. Let's look for a biblical model. Here's one, Thessalonica, an incredible one. 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, 2 through 9. Now watch how Paul speaks to this church. This is incredible how Paul does this. He goes, we give thanks to God always for all of you, constantly mentioning you in our prayers, remembering before our God and our Father your work of faith and labor of love and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. For we know, brothers loved by God, that he has chosen you. Because our gospel came to you not only in word, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction, you know what kind of men we proved to be among you for your sake. And you became imitators of us and of the Lord, for you received the word in much affliction with the joy of the Holy Spirit, so that you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. For not only has the word of the Lord sounded forth from you in Macedonia and Achaia, but your faith in God has gone forth everywhere, so that we need not say anything. He's saying, you guys are awesome. A short letter just to remind you about how awesome you are. For they themselves, is what he says in verse 9, for they themselves report concerning us the kind of reception we had among you and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God. You see, they received the messenger and the word of God, and it made all the difference. In both letters to the church at Thessalonica, Paul praises them for their faith and answers their concerns. Here's the short list of what Paul has to deal with. All right, He has to deal with their concerns about the second coming of Christ. Oh, you guys think you missed it. That's just a theological problem. I can help you with that. So listen up. I'm going to help you with it. 
He talked to them. He spoke to them about the command for community, the importance of us gathering together as the people of God, learning how to do life together, community conduct, instructions on how to please God as we love Him with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and we learn to love our neighbor as ourselves. I love that. So what, what he's saying is, oh, y'all have got a few theological things I can help you out with. Otherwise, you, you guys are knocking it out of the park. You're doing great. In verse 6, it says, they re- received God's word in much affliction, but with joy in the Holy Spirit. You know what this tells me, church? That they were not products of their environment. They didn't use that as an excuse. They were products of the decisions they made to receive the messengers and the word of God. We use it as an excuse today. I'm just a product of my environment. Man, if I'd have had a better raisin, if, I'd have, if, I'd have, if somebody had sent me a little further down the road financially, I'd be in a different place today. We tend to use our environment. You notice their environment was not good. As a matter of fact, Paul knows affliction. If Paul knows anything other than the Lord, he knows affliction. He was beaten. He was shipwrecked. He was snake bit. And he's saying, you people, you people receive this God's word in much affliction. And what does he say is in their heart? Joy. Still the joy is in you. I think that's incredible because their environment did not determine who they were. It did not determine for them an excuse to be anything other than a believer, a mature believer in Jesus Christ. In verse 7, they were an example to all believers in Macedonia and Achaia. I love that. Verse 8, God's word was heard in Macedonia, Achaia, and everywhere in the church of Thessalonica, that they traveled by their faith, they sounded out God's words to the entire region. In verse 8, it's amazing. Paul said their faith was so strong and their walk so straight that he had no words of exhortation or correction. In verse 9, they received Paul and his team and embraced Paul's word and turned from their idolatry and served Jesus. What an incredible story. What an incredible rest of the story in a church that truly influenced its entire region and continues to influence us today. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 13, kind of an anchor scripture here. He said, For this reason we also constantly thank God that when you received the word of God which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the word of men, but for what it really is, the word of God, which also performs its work in you who believe. So he's saying, hey, this is making a difference in your life. Just recently, as a matter of fact, as recently as Thursday morning, I had told the Bravehearts men that there's something laid on my heart, and last week it was so raw and fresh, I said, I can't even speak about it. So I want to. I got the message put together, but I'm getting ready to. This isn't going to be rimfire. This is going to be centerfire. I mean, we're going to hit it hard and heavy. I'm going to throw some lead down the field. So this week I talked about repentance and what repentance is. And I said, I said, you know, when we understand truly what the transforming of our mind does, that repentance is, is actually changing our mind instead of acting like a dog who is beat down, is a product of their environment, and weeps and cries and says, I feel guilty, I feel shame, and so uh, I'm just completely ineffective. Because we render ourselves ineffective. Now, what I love about this scripture is he's saying, hey, look, God's work in you 
for those of you who believe, right, is making a difference. It's, it, you're being transformed. In other words, you're becoming a disciple. You're repenting, meaning that you're changing your mind on some things and you are learning from the messenger and God's word that what? That Jesus is Lord, but even beyond that, how to apply what I know. And that's what made the difference in these two churches. One of them knew how to apply it and the other one didn't. I mean, the reason why you write correction on tongues or prophecy or any of that other stuff is because they didn't know how to apply it. Hey, good for you. You got gifts. People are dying and they don't know you love them. It's a problem. It's a problem. See, but the church at Thessalonica, for this reason we also, we also constantly thank God when you receive the word of God which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the word of men but for what it really is, the word of God which also performs its work in you. In other words, you're applying what you know and it's making a difference. It's making a difference for the kingdom. See, they received the words and the apostles and their mind was constantly being renewed. And you could say it this way. I said this Thursday morning. You know, uh, repentance is a way of life just because we're constantly changing our mind. If we're growing, if we're mature Christians, we're constantly learning. We're constantly moving over into the meat of the matter. And that's where this church truly was and is. The word they received, they believed. They placed their faith in the word. They placed their faith in the messenger because they believed the word was able to perform because they believe the Word of God was able to perform its work in them. And it's huge. You see, Israel failed to mix the Word with faith, and it didn't profit them any. And that's the Hebrews 4.2 scripture we talked about earlier. Faith in God's Word transforms people and churches. You hear me? Faith in God's Word, in the messenger that comes, it transforms lives. That's what we're about. Jesus didn't say, go and get them all saved. He said, go and make disciples which means we're going to work on your mind. We're going to work on your heart. Getting you saved is wonderful. That's the first step in the door, but that's not the last step. We're going to walk on, church. And so here at Harvest, we understand there is a temptation to drift. There's a temptation when somebody writes a check and pushes it across the desk. And I say, man, you know what? That building payment is right around the corner. What would you say you want? I just want to be able to teach a Bible study. Why don't you go to membership class first? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? I'm not getting on to anybody here specifically. That has not happened here, just to clear things up. Probably because I preach sermons like this now. But we understand there's a temptation to drift. You understand the first way to make a difference in your life is to understand sometimes the temptation of why you are not where you want to be. It's called awareness. So my first step is just being aware. I love this about Harvest Christian Fellowship because we're saying, hey, we're not prideful of it. We're aware of this. We're looking at churches and we're comparing them throughout Scripture and we're saying, hey, look at all the good here. Look at what we can glean from this. We can glean a ton of great things. Definitely Corinthians is the Word of God. We can glean and, and grab and gravitate and grab a hold of, but we want to be effective not just for us in this generation, but for the generations to come. So pay attention and don't drift from the messenger and his word. We're not prideful. We're aware. Awareness is the first step to becoming responsible for what we have. 
We learn from those who have gone before us. This is why we continue to go over our mission, our values, and our vision. We encourage you to be involved in our disciple track so you can be on board with us. There are ways here that we always are trying to to bring you the Word of God to make a difference and have the ability to see you be transformed and me be transformed for greater purposes that God has called us to in this life. I'm so grateful for it. How can you do this? Well, be involved in Sunday mornings. Sunday morning worship service. I mean, when Paul does write to the church at Thessalonica, what does he say? Hey, y'all gather together. Y'all learn to do community together. Y'all, y'all love really well. You're, you're doing awesome. If I could encourage you in anything, get together. Learn how to lift up God on high together corporately. I love to sing corporate worship songs. I'm not crazy, all right, about I come to the garden alone. No, you don't. All right? Don't sing that one at my funeral. Okay? Because I had a world of people who no matter where I went in this world, at any time in my life, the church has always been there. And they've embraced me and they've loved me and they've discipled me. I had to make one decision. That is, will I get up and go? That's it. So Sunday morning's here for all of us. God's Word is given in a practical, understandable way for all of us to be able to apply it. And so we encourage you to receive it and its messenger. Go to life groups. Get involved. It's another opportunity to study God's Word. Membership class, the very thing that's happening this afternoon. I said it this morning. I'll say it again. If you're a member, come. There's nothing wrong wrong with hearing it twice. There's nothing wrong with coming in here and encouraging those who are looking at Harvest and saying, hey, man, what's this about? And them seeing you and you sitting down and saying it's about you because we love you. It's what we're about. Get involved. Discipleship path, path, freedom in Christ, the Holy Spirit class, kingdom families, our camps. Look, the messenger may change, but the message never does. So let me tell you about the messenger changing very quickly. Just some things that happened this week. My son told me this week, and this was a little bit hard for me to take. Okay, I'm still getting over it, probably because I got a little bit of a prideful heart, and just God's working on me in this area. I didn't know I had it. This is what he says. He says, Dad, you know, I feel so much closer to God in youth group than I do in your church. I said, well, it's not my church. You know, it belongs to the Lord. But that's why we, and fortunately, Allison was there when he said it. And so it's a good thing about the two being one flesh. She jumped right in. She said, that's what it's for, Wade. It's geared for you. It's geared for them. Now watch. The message hasn't changed. I know what Caleb's teaching in there. He runs it by me. We meet. Right? The messenger changed. And I just want to tell Allie, man, I don't know where you are, Allie, but you touched a lot of lives this week. And thank you very much, girl. I don't see her. Hi, Allie, you're on the front row. (laughs) Way to go, girl. Proud of you. Hey, the college ministry. Man, Matt and Vanessa. Matt, where are you? You ought to get in church. Touch a lot more people. He was here at the early service I saw him. Hey, you know what? They taught in the college ministry this week. Knocked it out of the park. Different messenger, same message. And man, it's incredible. People's lives are touched and being transformed. Many of you, Caleb, on Thursday mornings, come in here and just teach lights out. Just gifted in that way, right? But the message stays the same. We receive the messenger and his word. 
It makes a difference, church, but we have a place here in Amarillo, Texas to do that. And it's incredible. And there are other churches that are doing that, and I praise God. They're right here in Amarillo, Texas, and I love them, every one of them. We're learning to do life together. Jesus calls us to stay attached to the vine, to stay attached to him, to receive him, to receive his message. He also says, apart from him, we can do nothing. And it's our call to this community as we are faithful, our influence will continue to grow and flow well beyond what we are able to comprehend, church. It just continues to flow out from here. Our sphere of influence, watch this, eventually impacts our sphere of concern. We win a world for Jesus Christ. It's what we're after. You see, Corinth couldn't receive a strong word. Therefore, they remained carnal. When they got reprimanded, they just blew it off. Well, so be it. You know, it's kind of like, uh, I shouldn't say, well, yeah, I will. This is good. It's really good, and it's a good place to put it. I was told one time that the reason why um, this particular church I was serving, uh, we're not going to change this area of ministry, is because they would outlast me there. That's what I was told. They were wrong. I stayed a lot longer than what they anticipated. But I was just told that, right? And here's the thing. They couldn't receive a strong word. The church at Corinth couldn't receive a strong word. Thessalonica received the word and influence and, and transformed the world right there through their portals. See, as history records, Corinth remained a problem. Thessalonica influenced, evangelized, and spread the word of God throughout Achaia and Macedonia. Corinth was larger and had more resources, but it just floundered in all of its problems. It never transformed its sphere of influence. Three letters, it had two visits from Paul himself. Watch this, and very few results. It remained a troubled church. Paul spent three Sundays in Thessalonica. That's not long. Hey, the Apostle Paul's coming to preach. Y'all come hear him. Well, we're there every Sunday either if he preaches or he doesn't. We're going to receive God's messenger and his word, right? And, and left, and as far as we know, he never had to return there. The big difference, it was their faith and how they received God's word, God's word and the messenger, right? So the tale of two churches. Look, I know which one I want to be a part of. You see, we have the same message. Same messenger, so to speak, okay. Um, following the same vision, the same mission. Messenger may change, but the vision and mission don't. Two different results, though, here that we learned about today. Two different results on the tale of two churches. I want to be like the church at Thessalonica, and I believe we are. See, we will receive God's word, we'll receive his messenger, and we'll watch his word transform us. We'll watch his word develop in us and make us disciples who make his way known. Are you in a place where this can happen today? If you're not, you need to reconsider which church you're going to. And I challenge you in every way. I believe that's who we need to be and that's what we ought to shoot for. See, I believe I am. I am and I thank God for this church weekly. It's been interesting just over the past past two months. I don't think I've come up with one complaint. That's a miracle in itself right there. You don't think I'm being transformed? A, a complaint that, that has to do with the church that I serve. As a matter of fact, I've said far more than not, when people ask me how I'm doing, I say I believe 
I'm actually the best I've, I've been in years. It's absolutely incredible. It's incredible. I hope that's how you feel. hope you're receiving God's Word, His messengers, embracing that and growing. Because as we do that, church, we will influence an area, a community, and a world for Jesus Christ. And we'll also prepare the way for those who come after. Amen.